Great to see you all. Welcome to the 10 o'clock service. My name is Matt. If I haven't met you, hello. Hi, hi. I, uh, hopefully we'll go as quickly as possible to uh, not let anyone burn today um, from the sun, from the sun. That's what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, I thought it's great to be with you all here in person and with everyone who's joining us right now online. Great to have you guys joining us. Uh, let's just jump right in. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them, turn them on, do what you got to do, turn or tap your way to Psalm 84. We're continuing on in our series called Refresh, and we've been going through a summer of Psalms over the last few weeks, and we're continuing today in Psalm 84. And so I know that we're in a strange time right now. I know it's a strange time, but it's summer. It's a weird one, but usually summer's that time where we like to get away. So I'm, I'm curious, like, real quick, just shout it out. Where's your go-to getaway place? Where do you go? Gotta get away. Anybody, like the mountains? Some of you guys like the mountains, huh? Beach, I heard the beach. How about a beach at a resort in Mexico? Anybody with me on that one? Come on, okay, come on, come on. All-inclusive time in Mexico. That's always a fun getaway. Uh, there's the mountain people. Raise your hands for like the mountains. Get away, get off the grid. Up there in God's nature, creation. Uh, how about Disneyland? <laughs> come on, Disneyland. Okay, I know Disneyland is not like the most relaxing place, but for me, I find it very refreshing because everything there is like perfect. It's, everything's manicured. Everything's perfectly curated. Every blade of grass is perfectly in order. Does anyone else find that refreshing? Come on. Thank you, Jesus. I love it. You know, typically when we think of getting refreshed, we think about, you know, getting filled up, we, we typically conjure up images of getting away, you know, like that place that we can go to, to find respite, to find a, you know, to be, to fill our tanks up. It's usually a, a location, getting away. And I, I think we all have that place. Um, we have, all have a longing to be somewhere where we can fully uh, rest and find refreshment and we think to ourselves, hey, man, if I could just get there, if I could just get to that place, oh, it'd be so relaxing. I don't know about you all, like over the last four months, it's been kind of this weird thing where I had this longing to get away, but I'm like, where can I actually go? There's nowhere to go. And this, I kind of like was like, oh, kind of a mini panic, just a little mini, a mini panic moment where was like realizing like, I can't, there's nowhere I can actually go to get away. Oh. But uh, let me just make, I have an assumption that I'm going to be operating under this morning. My assumption is this, that every lowercase l longing, we all have those, like either it's a place we want to be, there's people we want to be with, there's something we want to do, lowercase l longing, that ultimately is a shadow of the capital L longing that we have. And that capital L longing ultimately is to be with God. The capital L longing that has, that's a longing that has existed forever. You were created, you and I, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we feel it or not, we were created with this capital L longing to be with our creator. Isn't that cool? God, it, he, when he was creating you and I, he hardwired us with a longing to be with him. A longing to be with him. So we, you and I, as we journey through this life, we instinctively know we instinctively know that there is somewhere that we belong. 
How many of you, you ever just feel like you're a stranger and you're like, where do I, there's somewhere I belong and I'm, I'm kind of looking and I'm trying to find where's that place that's going to be, where I can be me and I can fully belong. There's something inside that we, we're, we're constantly looking to scratch that itch. So you and I, we instinctively know that there's somewhere we belong where we will fully and finally be fulfilled. And so many of us, we spend our lives searching for a place called away. Got to get away. Got to get away. I got to find that place. And my belief is that all of our longings, all of our lowercase l longings, are all pointing us to the longing, capital L, longing that only God can satisfy. And today I want to talk a little bit about that. And hopefully, here's my prayer, that by the end of today, and if our time gathered here today, gathered online, listening, watching, at the end of today, we would find and be reminded of amazing truth, good news that meets us in the midst of our longing. In the midst of that place, that longing, that ache, that we would have, we would feel and experience refreshment at that place. So let's look at, uh, look together at Psalm 84. And again, Psalm 84 is a psalm that is laced with longing, laced with the language of longing. It's a, it's a, a psalm that expresses the author's, his intense desire to be with, to be near God, to be with God's presence. And so let's read that together. And if you're able, I know we all just got comfortable, we sat down, but if we can stand up, if you're able, in, uh, in honor of reading God's word together, this goes for you at home as well. Let's go. Stand up, off the couch, off the lazy boy. I know you'll be right back there in a moment. Let's all stand together and read Psalm, Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord, o Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools that go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Or, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of, the, of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun, a shield, and the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And God, we pray this morning, Lord, that through your word and by your spirit, God, that you would come and you would minister powerfully to each one of us. We love you. And we look forward to what you are going to do this morning, God. Pray this in your name. And everyone said, amen. Before you sit down, give the person a non, in the neighboring square, give them a non-contact Bluetooth high five. <laughs> Sync up a little bit. Okay, there we go. And then have a seat. Bluetooth high fives are the new thing. Get used to it. Hopefully not for long. All right, so let's jump in. 
as I mentioned, this is a psalm that is riddled and laced with the language of longing. It's longing to be close, to be near, to be with God's presence. And so there's a couple things I want us to look at as we make our way through this psalm together. Uh, the first thing is that we're going to look at the longing for closeness to God. Then we're going to look at the blessing of closeness to God. And then finally, I want to spend a little bit of time looking at the reality of closeness to God. So first things first, the longing for closeness to God. What we see here is that the psalm is, again, it's describing the author's intense desire, his longing to be near God. And so the author of this psalm, I was trying to find, who, who actually wrote this? The author's unknown. Some people think it's King David. Uh, many, the commentators, they all disagree on who wrote it. So we don't really, we don't really know. But what we do know is the author of this psalm, he eagerly desires to be in God's dwelling place, namely the temple in Jerusalem. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. So the, the author here, he's describing one of the most prominent features of the Jewish life, and that was the pilgrimage that took place getting to Jerusalem so that you could be at the temple in the presence of God. You know, the temple was, of course, it was the center, the centerpiece of the Jewish life. And while the Jewish understanding uh, was that God, I mean, God was so great. There's, there's an understanding that, hey, we can't put God in a building. He's so great. As 1 Kings 8 talks about, even the highest heaven could not contain him. But at the same time, there was also a realization and understanding that God had been pleased in a sense to make his presence dwell in the temple. He would make the, to make the temple his dwelling place. And so while the temple, it did not physically contain God, it was a, a symbol a strong symbol of God's presence. And so the psalmist really, his, his, uh, he starts out with just this insane longing. Ah, I want to be there. I want to be at the temple, the place where God dwells. This is the place where I want to be. And notice that his longing is, it's all encompassing. It's, it's his entire being. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. This is his entire being. He, he's not He's not content with just feeling close to God. No, no, he, like, he wants to be there physically. It's, his, it's not just his head thinking about it. No, it's his heart and his body to be physically present at the temple. And I know that, I mean, you, you and I, we know this to be true. Even the introverts, come on, can I hear the introverts say, woo-woo, just like an introvert would love to do? Okay, even introverts, we, we, all of us, all of us, we, have, we know this longing to be true that we want to be near the people that we love. That's it's so, it's just natural. We want to be near the people that we love. You know, I've never heard anybody talk about a long-distance relationship and been like, oh, dude, it's so awesome. No one talks about a long-distance relationship and is super stoked on it. You know, it's not like, yeah, I know, she's on the other side of the country, and yeah, it's great. We actually prefer it that way. If that's you, you're weird. I'm sorry. <laughs> Because here's the thing, we will put up with a long-distance relationship for a season. We'll put up with it. We'll tolerate it. Maybe because there, uh, if you're in the military, there's deployment. That happens. Or there's some other work-related uh, thing. Or maybe you just met online and you're dating, you're kind of feeling it out, you know, and you're like, oh, like, if this continues on, you know, like, this is great. But eventually, what you're going to want to do is you're going to see the long-distance relationship end. You want to be with that person. 
So we'll put up with it for a while. But, you know, the FaceTime calls, the Zoom calls, the text messages, that is not ever going to be enough. You know, it's never going to be enough. We're going to, it cannot substitute for physical nearness. So you and I, we all have this innate desire to be with the people that we love. And I, I mean, I love that we are starting to regather on Sunday mornings. I love being with the family. I love being with God's people. I love seeing you guys in the flesh. I love running into people around town. I mean, it's, it's, it like feeds my soul to do that. I love that. So we, we have this innate desire to be with those we love. Love, in other words, has a gravitational pull. So that's the first thing that we see. But notice in verses uh, 3 and 4, the, the author, he gets a little carried away here. He starts talking about birds. He gets all envious. He's all jealous of birds. Like, why? Why birds? You know, because, and he says, the birds, essentially, they get to make their nest in the temple. Little, they get to fly around. They get to actually perch, like make a nest and be physically, to physically live at the temple. And, these, and notice the birds that he talks about, Sorry, I'm going to go on a little bird tangent real quick. I, I'm not a bird lover, but I just thought this was interesting. These aren't exotic birds, because I know there's exotic birds out there, and that could represent and symbolize something. These are like, these aren't A-list birds. <laughs> these are C-list birds, sparrows and swallows. I mean, no one's getting off the couch to go see a sparrow. Am I right? Okay, thank you. Uh, you know, sparrows all throughout Scripture, they, are, they actually represent, in many places, worthlessness. Worthlessness. I love this. In Matthew, <laughs> Matthew, in his gospel account, you don't need to pay attention to this part. I just thought it was interesting. Matthew, in his gospel account, he tells us that you could buy two sparrows for one cent. And then Luke, later on, he tells us you can get five sparrows for two cents. So I like that. It's a good classic uh, pricing package. You know, for two cents, you can buy four and get one free. Sounds like a pretty sweet deal on sparrows. No, but the, the point you know, throughout scripture, as you see sparrows get used, is that sparrows, they're, they're used to represent kind of worthlessness, no value. Uh, so these are not exotic A-list birds, but here's the thing the author is pointing out, is that even the sparrows, who are pretty much not worth anything, just little worthless birds, it, the author is blown away by the fact that these birds, they get to make their nests at the temple. They get to build, build a nest, and they also get to, like, raise their young at the temple. How cool is that? He's, like, he's so fired up and so excited about that. It's not, good, it's not even good enough just to fly over. Like, the birds can fly over it, and they can fly around it. But no, no, they actually get to make their nest, raise their young at the temple. And so he's overwhelmed by the proximity to God that these plain old birds get to enjoy. Then he goes on to say, blessed are those who dwell in the house of God. Blessed are those who get to dwell in the house of God. And here he's, he's likely referencing the priests, the people, the men that would be there to minister and to, they would be at the temple all the time. He's like, dude, these guys, they are so blessed to be able to be there and, and minister all the time. You know, every now and then I get someone who will say something to the effect of, like, dude, it must be, it must be so awesome to be in ministry, to, be, to work uh, at the church. And you just have to be like, you're just constantly being close to God. And there's, you know, there's something, you know, in so many words, that's, that's what's communicated. That being in ministry, being a pastor, working at 
at the church, there's something, oh, you must be close to God. I'm like, uh, well, actually, the coolest thing about working here at this building is that it has air conditioning. And I love that. Uh, so that's good. <laughs> the, uh, the other thing, too, that happens is like when, when uh, we're at a family dinner, of course, you know, there's always that moment of like, who? Who's going to pray for the food? All right. And then there's a sort of like, there's like the hand that goes out, like, let's find out who the most spiritual person is. It's like, oh, Matt, you're, you're a pastor, you're in ministry, you should pray. It's like, are you kidding me right now? And if the person, if I know them as a, a long prayer kind of person, and I'm hungry, I'm like, dude, I'll pray. It's cool. God, thank you for this food. Amen. Let's eat. And so, but there's this kind of this weird assumption that, oh, like you're in ministry, like you must be closer to God. And that's just not true for many reasons. Uh, but the author here, he's thinking like, wow, the people, he's trying to make a point. The people that actually get to be at the temple, that's, I mean, it's such a blessing for them to be able to be there physically. And so can you sense it in this text? In, in Psalm 84, there's this intense longing to be with God, to be close to God so that he may be able to worship him and sing his praises. And again, I want to draw us back to this, this fact that this is true about you and I. Because you and I are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. We are hardwired with a longing to be with our creator. And sure, there are many, many things. There's an endless catalog of things that try to offer themselves as a substitute for that. And so we get distracted and we'll wander around looking for something to satisfy. But ultimately, we are hardwired with a longing to be with our creator, whether we acknowledge it or not. So every, every longing that we have for something that will satisfy, refresh, something that will fulfill us, ultimately, all of those are a shadow of the true and deeper longing, the longing to be close, to be near, to be with God's presence in the arms of our loving creator. And so that's what, what we've seen so far is the longing for closeness to God. That's the first thing that we see. The next thing we see is the enormous blessing of closeness to God. And I want to highlight two blessings that really, that pop out from Psalm 84. And the first one is strength. Strength. So you know that not every Jew lived in Jerusalem. And so for many of them, they would have to make the pilgrimage to be at the temple, to be at the place where, where God's presence dwelled, they had to make a, they had to take the journey. They had to make the pilgrimage to get there. In fact, it was customary for Jewish people to make that trip probably about three times a year to be there. And, uh, and I would imagine that for many, that it was a hard journey. It was difficult. It was strenuous. And that's what, kind of what the author begins to describe in the next few verses. He he begins to describe kind of what they have to go through to get to the temple. But here's what we know and what we often forget, that it is in the midst of struggle where we get to experience God's strength in profound, powerful ways. It's in the midst of our struggle that God's strength shows up. And the psalmist, he, I mean, he is well aware, probably from experience, that God would, time and time again, as they made this journey, he would provide the strength needed to get there. 
And notice this phrase in verse 7. I love it. It says, strength to strength. Strength to strength. What does that mean? Well, that phrase, it's a Jewish phrase of blessing used on momentous occasions. And it means really to develop and progress with increasing success. Increasing success. And you would think that with a, a treacherous journey, you know, getting, you know, through the desert and like having to get through everything they had to get through in order to get to Jerusalem to be in the temple. You would think that with each passing day, the pilgrims making that journey would just become more and more tired, more and more weary and depleted. But according to the author, that is not the case here. It's, in fact, it's just the opposite. The closer the pilgrims got to the city of Jerusalem, he's saying the stronger they got. Their longing for closeness and their love for God was so great that just the anticipation of being there, just the anticipation of being there, it had an energizing effect on them. I don't know if you guys have ever made like a, a long trip, you know, to, to somewhere like for some of us, the, the, the bus ride to Hume Lake, summer camp, okay? You can, if, you, if, you, if you haven't been to Hume, you'll understand this. It's okay. That the bus ride to Hume, is, so it's about seven hours, you know, we, we meet out here, we get on the bus, and we spend about seven hours on the bus with a, with a bunch of just great, lovely people. Everyone's getting along. Now, seven hours on the bus, and charter buses aren't exactly like the most comfortable thing. You know, you think, ooh, charter bus, this is great. But it's, there's like, oh, my back, my neck. Like, I, they're kind of painful to be in there for seven hours. You're driving, you're going through like the middle of nowhere, the bathroom, someone broke the bathroom. It's just like, oh, what in the world? And then you start to wind your way up the mountain. And then you're in the, you're in the tall trees. And just when you just want to give up and throw someone off the bus, you, like, you, you're coming around the corner and you peer through the trees and all of a sudden everyone's looking out the window and you get that first glimpse of the water, of the lake. And all of a sudden the, the mood on the bus changes. The mood inside, oh, we're close, we're almost there, I can see the water, I can see the lake. Something changes. When you, you just, when you get close. And so there's this anticip anticipation that brings energy. And I think in some ways, that's kind of what we see here, that the strength, the, the traveling pilgrims received from the anticipation, anticipating being in the presence of God. I mean, that was so great. It was actually, it, it gave the, anticipa the anticipation of it, gave them the energy to, to, to last and to make it through all of the harsh conditions. And then what we see there is he's saying that God is, he's providing the strength needed in order for them to draw close to God. And so that's, that's one blessing that we see is strength, that God is providing the strength needed. The other blessing of, of closeness is satisfaction. The psalmist, the author here, he records his prayer, and at one point he exclaims this. He says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And this part, it kind of reminds me of, you know, like those would you rather questions. <laughs> you know, would you rather, that's when someone presents you with a dilemma of two really, like, I don't know, hard to, it's hard to choose between these two options. One's very appealing or they're both painful. I mean, it's like, would you rather drop a bowling ball on your foot or close your door in, or close your hand in the door of a car? Choose. 
<laughs> would you rather have one friend for your whole life or a lot of friends for just a little bit of your life? Those kinds of questions stress me out because I can never choose. But what we see here, the psalmist is saying, there's no contest. There's no contest. He says, I would rather spend one day in God's house than a thousand anywhere else. It doesn't matter where it is. I would rather spend one day in God's presence. I, in fact, I would rather be a doorkeeper than to be a, you know, a doorkeeper at God's house than a dweller in the tent of the wicked. And the author here, he's drawing out, in poetic language, he's drawing out a, a strong, powerful contrast. He's essentially saying, even the smallest, even the slightest contact with God is far more satisfying than the deepest involvement in sin. You see, sin, sin is always promising satisfaction. But as many of us know, that the more the deeper that we get into that, the further into that tent that we go, the more miserable we become and the less satisfaction we find. And the reason is this, is that if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, you have Christ in you, like you are not made for sin. You're not made for sin. Sin will never satisfy because it's not, it's no longer compatible with who you are. We've used this analogy before, but it's like putting diesel into an unleaded only tank. You know, it feels like, yeah, it's, it, it's, you know, gas going into the tank, but it's eventually going to, your car's going to conk out because it's not created for that fuel. You're not made for sin. So the only way to experience true and lasting satisfaction, the satisfaction that we long for is through closeness to God through being with him, close to him, near to the one who created us. And then the psalmist, he finishes by saying, Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. In other words, blessed is the one who trusts that the source of their strength, who trusts that the source of their satisfaction is found in God alone. In God alone. So we've seen there's a longing for closeness, there's the blessing of closeness to God. And then I'll, I want to just close by turning our attention briefly to the reality of closeness to God. And here's the thing. I could finish this message right now by saying, all right, Seacoast, come on. Let's get our act together. Let's go. Let's go. We're going to get fired up. We're going we're gonna to pursue God. We're going to be all on fire for him. Let's try hard. Let's push hard. Let's, let's, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get close to God. Get near to God. Are you with me? Woo! And just, you know, charge out there, and you guys all maybe follow me. Right? Woo! Um, so I could, there could be that, that, like, let's do this. Let's get, let's get going. Come on. Some of you would be like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds great. I, if I finished the message with that, and that was the conclusion, I would have failed. I would have failed. I love this psalm because it, it so poetically describes the longing that we possess, that we all possess to be close to God and to experience his blessing. It, it poetically, it captures our intense longing to be made whole, to be made right, and to, be, to stand, ultimately stand unashamed before God in his presence. I love that. I love how he describes that. But what I love even more is seeing 
Jesus as the fulfillment of every longing that we have, every desire that we have for closeness. I love seeing Jesus as the, as the source of that. You see, it's really tempting to read much of the Bible. I'd even say specific, maybe Psalm 84, and read it as though it's a prescription for the Christian life. Here's what you need to do in order to be close to God, or to read it as a blueprint for our relationship with God. Here's what you need to do. Follow these steps, and you will get close to God. And don't get me wrong, it is a good thing to want to be with God, to be near and close to him. Again, this psalm is, not, is describing how we were created. That longing exists inside of us. This is the language of our heart. I love this psalm, but this psalm is not the end of the story. This psalm is not the end of the story. You see, several hundred years after this psalm was written, something incredible would happen. Several hundred years after the author penned the words to this psalm, the words that describe our longing to get, get to the place where God dwells, God would do something radical. He would, he would send his one and only son, Jesus Christ, and he would send him to us, to where we dwell. And through his life, his death, his resurrection, he would recreate us, you and I, into a new dwelling place. Isn't that cool? He would re recreate us into his new dwelling place. You see, the symbol of, the, the symbol of God's presence is no longer a physical temple or a physical building with an address. No, you and I, the gospel announces that you and I, we are God's temple. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, he said, do you not know that you are God's temple and the Holy Spirit dwells in you? You see, Christianity, it's not about, Christianity is not about the journey that we take to God. Christianity is about the journey that God took to us. And the source of our blessing and our strength, our satisfaction is not ultimately anchored in what we do for God but what he has done for us. And so Christianity, it's not the story of us climbing up and working our way to get to God, to get into his presence. It's about the fact that God came down. He made his way to us in order to die for us so that he may live in us. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And so friends, we get, we get to trust what Christ has done for us. But he didn't just stop there. He didn't just stop with forgiving us. He also made us new. He's also done something to us. He's made us his dwelling place. So it's no longer, oh, I'm, I'm forgiven, but I, I still need to work my way to God. I still need to work my way to get close and try to stay close to him. No, the good news is that you've been forgiven, but that also Jesus cleaned house and he moved in. He's made you his dwelling place. So how close are you to God? How close are you to God? You know, usually you can ask Christians that question, and you might get a bunch of, uh, 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 well, you know, uh, it's been a bad week. It's been, uh, yeah, it's been hard. And I get it. There's, there's, 
you know, we don't always feel close to God, but what the new, the gospel, the new covenant, the, the New Testament, what it announces to us, we don't have to wonder. How close are you to God? He calls you home. You're his dwelling place. You're his temple. That's pretty close. And so we are being invited this morning and for the rest of our lives to trust in the reality of our closeness to God. And so closeness to God, we have to understand that closeness to God is not first and foremost a feeling. Closeness to God is a fact. Closeness to God is a fact, not a feeling. And the good, this is the good news that we're being asked to trust. The good news of Christ in me. See, if you are a Christian, if you have come to that place where you have, uh, have understood your need for a Savior, your need for rescue, and you've seen Jesus, and you've, you've trusted him as that Savior, as that rescuer, that redeemer, you've, you've invited him in. Guess what? He has he cleaned house, and he's moved in. You now have Christ in you. That's like kind of a cool thing. Like the word Christian, it means Christ in. Christian. Christ in. The old is gone. The old you, dead and buried, and the new you is alive in Christ. And we're told nothing can separate us from the love of God, that we are inseparably united to him. And so, what if, what if we spent less time wondering about and obsessing over, you know, how close we are to God, how to, you know, how close we are and all that, and instead just trust what Jesus has done? What if instead of perpetuating a version of Christianity that says God is over there, I mean, if you, if you listen to our language, it almost feels like Christianity, like God's over there and I'm just, I'm working my way to him. I'm working my way. I, I got to get over. Oh, I, I, we, we see God way over there. He's off in the distance. And I'm just, if I do the right things, if I do the right, you know, if I read my Bible, if I do all of the Christian things I'm supposed to do, I will finally get to God. And what if we stop perpetuating that version of Christianity that says God is over there and it's up to us to, to get close and to stay close? And instead, what if we trust that everything, everything between God and us is forever settled? that nothing can separate us from him? What if we trust what scripture says about who we are? And who are you? You're God's temple. You're his dwelling place. Now, I want, I want you to think about this. At the very, very beginning of Psalm 84, he says, how lovely is your dwelling place. And let me ask this question. If God only dwells in lovely places, what does that say about who you are, Christian? If God only dwells in lovely places, what does that say about who you are? So instead of living our lives trying to get close, stay close to God, what if we ask and allow the Spirit to open our eyes, open our hearts to the present tense reality of our closeness to God? See, he's made us his dwelling place, and God dwells in lovely places. So guess what? He's made you lovely. He's made you lovely. He is pleased with you.
So every longing, every longing of our heart to be close and near to God, all that is fully and finally met in Christ. And guess what? He's not, God is not up there shouting, come on, get your act together. Would you hurry up? Would you please do a little bit more? Come on, show me that you love me. He's not up there yelling, do more, be more, try harder. He's in here. He's not out there yelling. He's in here whispering, it is finished. So we don't have to live our lives trying to get away, trying to find that thing that will satisfy us. We can live life to the full because Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life has come to dwell in our hearts. And we can experience life to the full, not because we worked hard and and finally made our way to God's house, but because of Christ's work, God has made his home in our hearts.